Welcome to The Mystic Show. This is episode 137. everybody. I like letting the music play just for 20 seconds in the beginning. It's it's nice and relaxing and it kind of gets us in the mood for the Mystic Show. I'm Chris Curran. I'm your host. I'm happy you're able to join me. And this is the show where we talk about very important topics that are, as I call them, unseen and otherworldly. The purpose of this show is for you and I and everyone to discuss topics that are really important to us and also become a little inspired to practice spirituality or meditation or, you know, some some form of spirituality to bring our lives to a higher uh, level and uh, and also implement the things we learn in spirituality into our everyday lives right? That's, that's important too. Um, if you practice what we talk about on this show, wow, it'll make a big difference in your life. And we release new episodes every Friday morning. Although I think last week was the first week in about eight months that I, I missed. Well, I didn't miss it. Uh, I was actually in the middle of moving my studio. Um, I'll tell you about that in a second. But you can hear this show as a podcast in iTunes or on Stitcher or on TuneIn Radio. And of course, every single episode of The Mystic Show is on our website, themysticshow.net. And you can also sign up for behind-the-scenes emails from me, which is every week I just send out a little tidbit uh, behind the scenes of The Mystic Show. And... When you sign up for the email list, you also get access to the audio program that I made called Relax with Rumi, which is cool. It's four tracks. It's 49 minutes of audio. And what I've done is I've taken relaxing music and I read selected Rumi quotes over the music. It's very cool. You should check it out. It doesn't cost you anything. And of course, a quick shout out to our sponsor or our sister organization, uh, pause your life. That's right. Pause. P-A-U-S-E. Pause your life. It's actually an organization my wife and I started. We started it as a meetup group and we've done a couple annual retreats as well. The whole idea with Pause Your Life is that we live our everyday life and we're just always busy. We're always doing things. We never actually take time to stop and get some balance in our lives, get some balance in our minds. And that's what pause your life is all about. When you feel the need to hit the pause button, you know, you just want to stop the world and just be for a certain amount of time. That's what pause your life is there for. The website is pauseyourlife.org. And there's even a cool page on there where you can pause virtually right now. 
and you can unload a lot of the baggage you're carrying around. That seems to be holding back a lot of people. I'm sure you notice it as well in your life that we we hang on to our negative baggage for so long and it just starts weighing us down until we're not able to do anything. So anyway, pause your life and the plan for this episode is to continue reading from uh, Vivekananda. And by the way, this is um, it's going to take us a few more weeks, several more weeks to get through Vivekananda's book, which is called Raja Yoga. And um, this is kind of like a little summer project for the Mystic Show. And I'm kind of reading these chapters and I'm not really commenting too much uh, because, like I mentioned before, I, I was moving my studio and actually my wife and I are planning to move where we live. And anyway, it's a whole big project that seems to be taking longer than we planned, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but this summer is going to be a little bit crazy for us and my studio. So uh, just to make it easier on me and to let us read a great Vivekananda book, uh, I'm going to just read from his book. And um, obviously feel free to comment on the website. If you go to themysticshow.net, you can check out the different chapters and the different episodes of The Mystic Show and you can ask questions or comment. So like I said, this book is called Raja Yoga. It was written by Swami Vivekananda, who lived from 1863 until 1902. This book was published in July of 1896. And uh, yeah, so we read chapter one and two already on the past two episodes. So today we're going to read chapter three. Uh, We're actually going to read half of it. The title of the chapter is Prana. And we're going to read about half of it. So let's get started. And, you know, um, whatever activity you're doing, maybe you're taking a walk or you're just relaxing at home, or maybe you're out in your garden or, or you're cooking in your kitchen. It's, you know, it's nice to listen to this kind of, uh, these kinds of messages while we're, you know, in the middle of living our life. In the, while you're doing other activities, it's a great time to, um, to also listen to a podcast uh, of this kind. So, so let's get right to it. Um, again, this is from the book Raja Yoga, and this is chapter three, Prana. Pranayama is not, as many think, something about the breath. Breath indeed has very little to do with it, if anything. Breathing is only one of the many exercises through which we get to the real pranayama. Pranayama means the control of prana. According to the philosophers of India, the whole universe is composed of two materials, one of which they call akasha. It is the omnipresent, all-penetrating existence. Everything that has form Everything that is the result of compounds is evolved out of this akasha. It is the akasha that becomes the air, that becomes the liquids, that becomes the solids. It is the akasha that becomes the sun, the earth, the moon, the stars, the comets. It is the akasha that becomes the body, the animal body, 
the plants, every form that we see, everything that can be sensed, everything that exists. It itself cannot be perceived. It is so subtle that it is beyond all ordinary perception. It can only be seen when it has become gross, has taken form. At the beginning of creation, there is only this akasha. At the end of the cycle, the solids, the liquids, and the gases all melt into the akasha again, and the next creation similarly proceeds out of this akasha. By what power is this akasha manufactured into this universe? By the power of prana. Just as akasha is the infinite, omnipresent material of this universe, so is this prana the infinite, omnipresent, manifesting power of this universe. At the beginning and at the end of a cycle, everything becomes akasha, and all the forces that are in the universe resolve back into the prana. In the next cycle, out of this prana is evolved everything that we call energy, everything that we call force. It is the prana that is manifesting as motion. It is the prana that is manifesting as gravitation, as magnetism. It is the prana that is manifesting as the actions of the body, as the nerve currents, as thought force. From thought down to the lowest physical force, Everything is but the manifestation of prana. The sum total of all force in the universe, mental or physical, when resolved back to its original state, is called prana. When there was neither aught nor naught, when darkness was covering darkness, what existed then? That akasha existed without motion. The physical motion of the prana was stopped, but it existed all the same. All the energies that are now displayed in the universe we know, by modern science, are unchangeable. The sum total of the energies in the universe remains the same throughout. Only, at the end of a cycle, these energies quiet down, become potential. And, at the beginning of the next cycle... They start up, strike upon the akasha, and out of the akasha evolve these various forms. And, as the akasha changes, this prana changes also into all these manifestations of energy. The knowledge and control of this prana is really what is meant by pranayama. This opens to us the door to almost unlimited power. Suppose, for instance, one understood the prana perfectly and could control it. What power on earth could there be that would not be his? He would be able to move the sun and stars out of their places, to control everything in the universe, from the atoms to the biggest suns, because he would control the prana. This is the end and aim of pranayama. When the yogi becomes perfect, there will be nothing in nature not under his control. 
If he orders the gods to come, they will come at his bidding. If he asks the departed to come, they will come at his bidding. All the forces of nature will obey him as his slaves. And when the ignorant see these powers of the yogi, they call them miracles. One peculiarity of the Hindu mind is that it always inquires for the last possible generalization, leaving the details to be worked out afterwards. The question is raised in the Vedas, What is that, knowing which we shall know everything? Thus, all books and all philosophies that have been written have been only to prove that by knowing which everything is known. If a man wants to know this universe bit by bit, he must know every individual grain of sand, and that means infinite time for him. He cannot know all of them. Then how can knowledge be? How is it possible for a man to be all-knowing through particulars? The yogis say that behind this particular manifestation, there is a generalization. Behind all particular ideas stands a generalized and abstract principle. Grasp it and you have grasped everything. Just as this whole universe has been generalized in the Vedas into that one absolute existence. He who has grasped that existence has grasped the whole universe. So all forces have been generalized into this prana, and he who has grasped the prana has grasped all the forces of this universe, mental or physical. He who has controlled the prana has controlled his own mind and all the minds that exist. He who has controlled the prana has controlled his body and all the bodies that exist because the prana is the generalized manifestation of force. How to control the prana is the one idea of pranayama. All these trainings and exercises are for that one end, and each man must begin where he stands, must learn how to control the things that are nearest to him. This body is the nearest thing to us, nearer than anything in the universe, and this mind is the nearest of all. The prana, which is working this mind and body, is the nearest to us of all the prana in the universe. This little wave of the prana, which represents our own energies, mental and physical, is the nearest wave to us of all that infinite ocean of prana. And if we can succeed in controlling that little wave, then alone we can hope to control the whole of prana. Perfection is to be gained by the yogi who has done this, and no power is any more his master. He has become almost almighty, almost all-knowing. We see sects in every country who have attempted this control of prana. In this country, there are mind healers, faith healers, spiritualists, Christian scientists, hypnotists, 
etc. And if we analyze these different groups, we shall find that the background of each is this control of the prana, whether they know it or not. If you boil all their theories down, the residuum will be the same. It is the one and same force they are manipulating, only unknowingly. They have stumbled on the discovery of a force and do not know its nature, but they are unconsciously using the same powers which the yogis use and which come from prana. This prana is the vital force in every being, and the finest and highest action of prana is thought. This thought, again, as we see, is not all. There is also a sort of thought which we call instinct, or unconscious thought, the lowest plane of action. If a mosquito stings us, without thinking, our hand will strike it, automatically, instinctively. This is one expression of thought. All reflex actions of the body belong to this plane of thought. There is then a still higher plane of thought, the conscious. I reason, I judge, I think. I see the pros and cons of certain things. Yet that is not all. We know that reason is limited. There is only a certain extent to which reason can go. Beyond that, it cannot reach. The circle within which it runs is very, very limited indeed. Yet, at the same time, we find facts rush into this circle. Like the coming of comets, certain things are coming into this circle, and it is certain they come from outside the limit, although our reason cannot go beyond. The causes of the phenomena protruding themselves in this small limit are outside of this limit. The reason and the intellect cannot reach them. But, says the yogi, that is not all. The mind can exist on a still higher plane, the superconscious. When the mind has attained to that state, which is called samadhi, perfect concentration, superconsciousness, it goes beyond the limits of reason and comes face to face with the facts which no instinct or reason can ever know. All these manipulations of the subtle forces of the body, the different manifestations of prana, if trained, give a push to the mind and the mind goes up higher and becomes superconscious, and from that plane, it acts. In this universe, there is one continuous mass on every plane of existence. Physically, this universe is one. There is no difference between the sun and you. The scientists will tell you it is only a fiction to say the contrary. There is no real difference between the table and me. The table is one point in the mass of matter, and I another point. Each form represents, as it were, one whirlpool in the infinite ocean of matter.
and these are not constant. Just as in a rushing stream, there may be millions of whirlpools, and the water in each of these whirlpools is fresh every moment, turning round and round for a few seconds, and then passing out at the other end, and fresh particles of water coming in. So this whole universe is one constantly changing mass of matter, in which we are the little whirlpools. A mass of matter enters them, goes round and round, and turns, for a few years, into the body of a man, becomes changed, and gets whirled out in the form of, maybe, an animal. From that, it rushes round to get, after a few years, into another whirlpool, called a lump of mineral. It is a constant change. Not one body is constant. There is no such thing as my body, or your body, except in words. It is one huge mass of matter. One point is called moon, another sun, another a man, another the earth, another a plant, another a mineral. Not one is constant, but everything is changing, matter eternally concreting and disintegrating. So it is with the mind. Matter is represented by the ether. When the action of prana is most subtle, this very ether in the finer state of vibration will represent the mind, and there it will be still one unbroken mass. If you can get to simply that subtle vibration, you will see and feel that the whole universe is composed of these subtle vibrations. Sometimes certain drugs have the power to take us, as it were, through our senses, and bring us to that condition. Many of you may remember the celebrated experiment of Sir Humphrey Davy when the laughing gas overpowered him, and during the lecture he remained motionless, stupefied, and after that he said that the whole universe was made up of ideas. For the time being, as it were, the gross vibrations had ceased, and only the subtle vibrations, which he called the mind, were present to him. He could only see the subtle vibrations round him. Everything had become thought. The whole universe was an ocean of thought. He and everyone else had become little thought whirlpools. Thus, even in the universe of thought, we find this unity. And at last, when we get to the self, we know that the self can only be one. Beyond motion, there is but one. Even in manifest motion, there is only a unity. These facts can no more be denied as modern science has demonstrated them. Modern physics also has demonstrated that the sum total of the energies in the universe is the same throughout. It has also been proved that this sum total of energy exists in two forms. It becomes potential, 
toned down and calmed. And next, it comes out manifested as all these various forces. Again, it goes back to the quiet state, and again, it manifests. Thus, it goes on evolving and involving through eternity. The control of this prana, as before stated, is what is called pranayama. This pranayama has very little to do with breathing, except as exercise. The most obvious manifestation of this prana in the human body is the motion of the lungs. If that stops, the body will stop. All the other manifestations of force in the body will immediately stop if this is stopped. There are persons who can train themselves in such a manner that the body will live on even when this motion has stopped. There are some persons who can bury themselves for months and yet live without breathing. But for all ordinary persons, this is the principal gross motion in the body. To reach the more subtle, we must take the help of the grosser, and so slowly travel towards the most subtle, until we gain our point. The most obvious of all motions in the body is the motion of the lungs, the flywheel which is setting the other forces in motion. Pranayama really means controlling this motion of the lungs, and this motion is associated with the breath. Not that breath is producing it. On the contrary, it is producing breath. This motion draws in the air by pump action. The prana is moving the lungs, and that motion of the lungs draws in the air. So pranayama is not breathing, but controlling that muscular power which moves the lungs. And that muscular power which is going out through the nerves to the muscles, from them to the lungs, making them move in a certain manner, is the prana which we have to control in the practice of pranayama. When this prana has become controlled, then we shall immediately find that all the other actions of the prana in the body will slowly come under control. I myself have seen men who have controlled almost every muscle of the body. And why not? If I have control over certain muscles... Why not over every muscle and nerve of the body? What impossibility is there? At present, the control is lost, and the motion has become automatic. We cannot move the ears at will, but we know that animals can. We have not that power because we do not exercise it. This is what is called atavism. Again, we know that motion which has become latent can be brought back to manifestation. By hard work and practice, certain motions of the body which are most dormant can be brought back under perfect control. Reasoning in that way, we find there is no impossibility, but, on the other hand, every probability that each part of the body can be brought under perfect control. 
This the yogi does through pranayama. All right. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. I'm going to, as usual, have to go back and listen to that myself. There's a lot to ponder there. So until next time, check out all the other episodes on themysticshow.net. And as always, keep shining. <laughs>